You're listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show in support of European-level actions within the skeptical movement. The ESP is run by individuals representing different skeptical groups from across the continent. This is episode 170. I'm your host, Andras Pinter, and joining me for the show are my co-hosts, Jelena Levin and Pontus Böckmann. Sziasztok! Всем привет! Hey, son, hey, son! Great to have you back! <laughs> Finally! <laughs> Finally! I, I, I realize um, we are not always that regular when we release the shows, but you should know that this is the fourth time this week, fourth day this week that we've been trying to record, and everything goes wrong, something goes wrong this way, that way. But now we're together, we're doing this... Uh, yeah, a little bit late. I've had um, the ambition that we should now release our episodes on Thursdays. That will be difficult this week since it's already Friday, but it will come out as soon as we possibly can. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, And we had so high hopes for you editing the show and uh, the regularity that comes with it. This is just not your fault. So. <laughs> I, I'm very quick at editing. I just can't do it before we record. I can't, I'm not that quick. Yeah, too bad. You have limited powers, my friend. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, we are here. We're back. We are happy to be here. Mm -hmm. We have a, a, a happy listener as well. Oh, yes. At least yes, one. Yes. I hope. Drum roll. I hope all of them are happy, but at least one was so happy. That was uh, Philip Schunke, who won the ticket last week's raffle. Congratulations. Yeah, congrats. And he was so happy, he actually sent us a little audio clip. I think that was very sweet of him. Let, let's listen to that. Here it comes. Woohoo! Hi, guys. I usually don't participate in raffles of any sort, actually. But now I did, and I won! Thank you, guys! Obviously, now I have a lucky streak and I bought a lottery ticket. Well, just kidding. Anyhow, thank you, Jelena, Andreas, Pontus, and obviously, thank you, GVOP. I'm going to Skepcon in a little less than, I think, two weeks or something. I still have to find a solution for my kids, at least the younger ones. My daughter will just have to, I don't know, tag along. She'll get her advanced skeptics training there, I guess. So it's not only dad that keeps on nagging her about homeopathy and religion and stuff. Anyhow, it was actually quite funny how I learned about winning the raffle. I have to admit, sometimes I let some podcasts just run in the background, and this was the case here. Uh, I was standing in the kitchen, and, and the podcast was just playing in the living room. Anyhow, my son came up to me um, in the kitchen and told me, Dad, they just said your name on the podcast. Anyhow, so once again, thank you, ESP. Thank you, GVOP. And of course, I'll let you know what I'll be able to record at Skepcon. I'm already super excited. I'll keep you posted and keep up the good work. Woo! Amazing. <laughs> that was wow. very nice. Very nice. Yeah. I, I do encourage people, if they want to send us a, a little uh, audio clip like that, we're, we're very happy to receive it. It would be nice. Yeah, this is this is the sort of thing that doesn't occur to you that it could happen until it does. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and yeah, it's really no. cool. I really like it. Yeah, It's really good to make someone that happy. So enjoy the conference. Hopefully it'll go well. And uh, we're looking forward to a report from that. Yeah. Have a good conference, Philip. Yeah. But occasionally we do get on contacted for other reasons as well, and uh, we equally appreciate that kind of contact. Our uh, longtime friend and listener of the show, uh, Ralf Neugebauer, who's a prominent person in GWP, the, the German Skeptical Organization, contacted us about something that I did, and I, I think I boo-booed there um, uh, for, <laughs> for a moment when I talked about the Heinz Oberhumer Award 2019 that was given to the 
wonderful group of No Such Thing as a Fish, and that's a group of uh, hosts for that that podcast. And it's a brilliant podcast. It's it's a very popular one and uh, promotes science in a very non-direct and very uh, entertaining way. However, I did say on the report that it was given out by GVOP, which was a terrible mistake. It was given out by Science Busters. Science Busters is an organization, it's a group, basically, that uh, does science communication. They give out awards for, for those who achieve something really outstanding. So thanks very much, uh, Ralph, for pointing that out. And I apologize to everyone listening to the show for, for making such a silly mistake. But please, dear listeners, if we do these mistakes, please let us know because we want to issue correction. Yeah. We want to be correct and factual. So, yes, feel free to contact us about anything. Indeed. Keep, keep them coming. Yeah. And of course, there are several ways to get in touch with us. You can email us. Our email address is info at theesp.eu. You can also uh, get in touch with us on our Facebook page or tweet at us. (laughs) Twitter handle is at espodcast underscore eu. Also, like us and follow us on Facebook. um, And also, if you listen to us on iTunes, submit a review. But that's nothing to do with contacting. It's just it will give us visibility. Thank you very much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you're really happy with what we're doing, you could also support us. You could go to Patreon slash the ESP. And now we have made it easier to pledge a certain amount per episode. So we have uh, created a layer of tiers where you can uh, you can be a lollipop provider where you send us one dollar for each uh, show and that makes us well keeps us in candy and that's very nice if you want to send us two dollars instead we will appoint you coffee and cake suppliers so we get coffee and cake as well if you want to send us a full english breakfast and become a full english breakfast cook then you send us five dollars And if you want to be even more generous, you can be a three-course meal chef. And that's at $10. And believe it or not, we already have a three-course meal chef. That's uh, really nice. We're really happy. It's been up there only for less than a week. So we're very happy about that. Wow, that's pretty (laughs) exciting. Yeah. You can go even higher. I don't think anybody will, but feel free to try. And you can become a three-week vacation host as well. And that's when you give us $25 per episode. Obviously, uh, producing a sh- such a show comes with expenses, uh, regular expenses. Uh, occasionally, we need to uh, think of uh, new equipment that we need to buy in order to improve the quality of the show. And um, if there is something left, we might be using that to help ourselves get to certain conventions where we can promote the idea of uh, international collaboration among skeptics, especially across Europe. So, um, yeah, thank you very much for that uh, to everyone who has already donated and who's about to do that. That's enough talk of the technicalities. Let's crack on with the actual show. As usual, I'd like to ask Yelena to hit us with something that has happened this week in Skepticism. Here we go. I want to talk about a cord battle over a word quacksalver. Quacksalver. Which means quack in Dutch. That was resolved in favor of Dutch skeptics. Yay! On May 15th, 2009. Nice. Let me try to pronounce the Dutch skeptics group name. 
and it's Verenigin Tegen de Quaxal Veri. VTDK, Society Against Quackery. So they have managed to overturn a very important uh, court ruling. Uh, and this court ruling did prevent them from using the word quack uh, in calling quacks quacks. I mean, if you can't use the word quack to call quacks quacks, then I don't know what can you use. Anyways. <laughs> it's, it's not like ginger, uh, like only a ginger only can ginger call ginger another call, ginger. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. And actually, there are some parallels with the famous UK case of British Choreopractic Society Association and Simon Singh, which he also won. So, all good. Anyways. Oh, all good. Okay. By the way, this, this VTDK Society is one of the world's oldest skeptics group. Its first letter was published in 1881. That's pretty, pretty long time ago. Yeah. So, um, and they've been campaigning against uh, all sorts of nonsense ever since. Alternative medicine, etc. What they've done, they've published a list of names that listed uh, over 20 people whom they called quacks, and it, it became publicly available for people to look at and read about and whatever. Alongside that list, they also explained what they mean by the word quack and quackery. So there's certain points, so they said, and I quote, quackery is any professional act and or extending of advice or assistance related to the state of health of either man or animal, which is not founded on contemporary and or empirical tenable hypotheses on theories, which is actively propagated um, among the public over promotion, which has not been tested on efficacy and safety within the professional group, and which is usually performed without consultation of fellow practitioners. So they, they really have defined what they mean. People who were on that list kind of learned about that, <laughs> that they were named and sort of shamed, if you want. And one of the people on that list was, oh my gosh, I don't know how I'm going to pronounce her name, was a so-called doctor called Maria Sikez. Anyway, who claimed at the time to be a doctor of orthomanual therapy. Apparently, she developed her own unique method of spine manipulation. Uh, to correct misalignment of the spine and pelvis. So, and then she claimed that those manipulations were, she was able to treat all sorts of things with those manipulations. Hey, how about autism, Parkinson's, lung and digestive disorders, menstrual cycle, ADHD. Hang on, treat menstrual cycle? Isn't that a disease? <laughs> <laughs> must well, be, yeah. There's, oh, uh, I've never had it. So. Uh, oh, oh, no, hold on a second. Also, Anorexia, asthma, autism, bipolar disorder. I mean, come on, please. Yeah. Uh, wow, or, it's a cure how, it all. Wow. Uh, or how they say, how some people say, bitch, please. And so she uh, saw herself on that list and um, she decided to file um defamation suit against the Dutch skeptics. And uh, it went ahead and there was the whole lengthy backwards and forwards. It went through a couple of courts, I think, and went to the higher court. They finally won the battle, which is great, 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 great success, and took back the control over the word uh, quack. And they're still using it as far as I know, so... <laughs> Very good. I mean, what should you call them? If it quacks like a duck and it walks like a duck, then you yeah. have to call it uh, quack, I guess. 
Yes, and it, it was a great... Overall, it was very good win for the skeptics. I know that at the time it was no fun for the poor Dutch skeptics because they spent shitloads of money, and I mean, like, a lot. They were raising tens of thousands of euros for, like, the fee- legal fees, the uh, uh, lawyers, etc. So it was terrible. And um, for a while they had the fundraising campaign going, and I'm assuming that that was all done and they, they managed to raise enough money. Uh, and I'm sure it was all a bit a bit of a hellish at the time. But actually, this is an important win going forward for them because it set a precedent. Yeah. That was, that's the problem with these things. Even if you get sued and it's, there's nothing behind it and you haven't done anything wrong, it can cost you a lot and lot of money. And, yeah. 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 Yes, and of course, and that's the, the high, kind of also the whole point. I'm sure from perspective of the other side, they think all oh, they bring the attention yeah. and drag certain organizations through the mud per se. So, so well done. A really good win. I mean, it was back in the day, but still, you know. Yeah, 10 years ago, right. Not that long. Yeah. And now they can use a, a very wonderfully melodic uh, roll of the tongue word, Kvaksalver. Amazing. Kvaksalver. <laughs> <laughs> Same word in, in Swedish, actually. Kvaksalvare. We have an oh, E at well, the end. Ah. But it's the same. Well, there you yeah. go. Okay. Wow. Nice. Is Dutch a Nordic language? Well, it's the, a North Germanic language. So it's... Ah, okay. It's, but it's not it's not a Nordic language, but it, there are okay. some similarities. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I just realized that a, v, a VTDK, I think it's uh, one of the organizers of the next European Skeptics Congress. Yeah. Isn't that true? Yes, it is. I think it, it is. is. So, yeah, we're, we're going to be able to learn more about them very, very soon. It's uh, just a couple of months out. Mm. Oh, and uh, I do think that um, the actual program is almost ready to be published. I mean, uh, in our inner circle of the European Council of Skeptical Organizations, we have already seen the program, so it's going to be up there very, very soon online and available for everyone to see stay tuned for that but we are moving on and that means that we are checking in for the next segment which is when pontus pokes the pope yes francis has been busy as usual (laughs) yeah first of all he's actually preparing for the olympics did you know that uh, is he running or what? No, not personally, I don't think so. But, but uh, okay. I don't think I mentioned it at the time. But in January, the Vatican announced that they were launching an athletics team with the aim of competing internationally, including joining the Olympics. The Vatican? The okay. Vatican. Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a nation or a state. They could, they could probably, if they just get their <laughs> team together. I, I just hope that they're based their team outfits on the classical red cardinal yeah, dresses. That's, that's what I was so, going to say. It would be amazing. It would be like Monty Python fashion. <laughs> I, you know, we, can, we can dream. I, 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 will vote, I will root for them, absolutely. Uh, but <laughs> on that note, he's taking one step further, actually. The news this week is that he blessed the new female football team, soccer team. And that is actually pretty cool. Say what you will about Francis, but I can't imagine Benedict doing that, the previous pope, blessing a female football team. So that, that's good, actually. I don't know if they are any good, but uh, they should absolutely uh, compete. We'll see. We, we, we have to add him that, that, that he has his ways of being cool. Occasionally. Yeah, 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 absolutely. But he's also, uh, of course, a pope. And as such, he recently visited the newly renamed country of North Macedonia. 
And North Macedonia has, of course, a very famous or rather infamous saint. Do you know who I mean? Who was born in Skopje way back oh. when it was actually called the Ottoman Empire? Or that was let part me guess. Let me guess. Uh, that was a woman. That was a woman. Yes. Yeah. Mother Teresa. Oh yeah. The not very saint-like saint. <laughs> who is still such an idol for so many people, even though she, by any objective account, were quite a horrible person, actually. Saying, yeah, she was. Yeah. yeah, she was saying things like how beautiful it is to see the pain of poor people suffering because they suffer like Jesus did. At, to the point where he, she actually denied them painkillers in her so-called clinics or, or whatever she called the houses where she so-called took care of them. That's a famous good old Christian compassion for you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, but Francis doesn't see it that way, of course. He said about her when he was there in Skopje, he said, how many people were put at ease by the tenderness of her glance, comforted by her caress, sustained by her hope and nourished by the courage of her faith, which could make even the most forgotten in our midst realize that they're not forgotten by God. Blah, 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 blah. She was actually a terrible person. And it's not like he doesn't know of the criticism about... They had Christopher Bloody Hitchens as a witness when they were doing the... What do you call it? You have a sort of... A, almost like Canonization. a Canonization. Canonization, thank you. Where you actually have somebody talking for and somebody talking against. And they had Christopher Hitchens talking against her... And uh, he's written a, a book about her that I can't remember the name of right now, but... The Missionary... The Missionary Position. The Missionary Position, yes, yeah. but yes. I haven't read it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, yeah. Anyway, Francis still thinks she was a great woman. He has been busy, if we have time. The big news, actually, this week is that Francis has issued an apostolic letter, which is set to become church law which makes clear that any sexual advance involving the use of power will now be considered abusive. And that sounds good. Very excellent, but it's just mm -hmm. 2,000 years overdue, but fine. <laughs> <laughs> so he's trying, and that will make him some enemies more, I think, within the church. Because there are, as I've said before, those who consider him too progressive. And you remember my prediction? They will get their revenge when Francis is gone and they will elect a conservative, much stricter pope. Mm -hmm. So, so far, so good. He's taking a stance, but he still goes wrong. And where he goes wrong is that in the rest of this letter, he clearly states that it's also mandatory to report any abuse, which is good, but to your relevant clerical superior. He does not mention the police at all. <laughs> and that's where yeah. we can see, you know, bloody hell. We, he did a, he had a similar law instated just a month ago or so in, in the Vatican, but that was limited to the Vatican. And there it said also that you had to report, but it didn't specify where. And I had my suspicions. I think I said that. It's, it should have said that you, you need to go to the police with this. But mm. now in this new thing, which will become church law all over any, uh, and I think the different dioceses have, have gotten a year and a half to implement it. It says specifically in this law that you should go to your clerical superior. Yeah, here, here, here goes nothing. Yeah. It's just hold on to it. Yeah, which is <laughs> where, we're of course. We're going to keep it in our control. Yeah, yeah you, can, you can cover it up. 
and uh, it doesn't say you can't go to the police, but it doesn't say you should, and it you should. Any priests, bishops listening to this show, go to the police for fuck's sake. Yeah. Right. And don't make any sexual advances on children. Or anyone, for that matter, who's not uh, weaning. Uh, yeah, yeah. Who doesn't uh, consent. Doesn't, doesn't do it voluntarily. Doesn't consent. Doesn't consent. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and But if they consent, feel free to go ahead. If you're happy, they are happy, you are both happy, go ahead. Or three of you, I don't care. But you don't force anybody. That's... Yeah, uh, exactly. You exactly. Know, you know what that is. All right. Yep. Well... I believe that this this typically was something that the Pope needs some poking for. Mm-hmm. So thank you very much for that, mm-hmm. Pontus. Okay, let's move on, because we've got a couple of news-like items that we want to talk about. And let's start with uh, some kind of good news from Germany. And uh, we always talk about uh, vaccination issues and uh, how we... Uh, think uh, the the problem with the lack of widespread enough vaccination should be tackled. And uh, now the German government is working out a plan. They have come up with a bill. It hasn't been made into law yet because there are still ongoing discussions about this. But what they're planning to do is to bring in fines for uh, for those parents who refuse to vaccinate their kindergarten age children or even primary school age children. Mm-hmm. This was a proposal put forward by the German health minister Jens Spahn, or Spahn, I, I don't know how to do that in German. The actual fine that they threaten parents with is 2,500 euros if they fail to show proof that the child has been vaccinated. Obviously, we we are talking about the the first vaccination when it comes to kindergarten age, because uh, the, the second booster comes at a higher age. So we have to make that distinction. And I think part of the debate that is going on is about that. As I understand, what's what's going on now is that obviously uh, the lack of vaccination or the, the lack of widespread vaccination is a serious issue in Germany. In the, the last couple of months, there have been another couple of hundred uh, cases across the country of measles. And that is probably due to the fact that... Uh, uh, the current vaccination rate in Germany, according to authorities, is 93%, which Ooh. is short of the minimum of 95 that is required yes. for herd immunity to kick in. So that is just about short. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, right. but, but it's important. Germany being a massive country, that means that an estimated 600,000 people would need to be vaccinated. Because we're not talking only about children, but also their caretakers, anyone working with children in schools, in primary schools, in kindergarten, or anyone uh, who works in healthcare. So it's it's uh, a pretty important, and there is an estimated three hundred and sixty thousand unvaccinated children in schools and kindergartens across the country, according to the Ministry of Health. So that is a serious issue. So. Again, 2,500 euros of fines 
if you fail to show proof that your child has been vaccinated. And when it comes to kindergarten, because due to the law, nobody could be expelled from primary school because of not being vaccinated. But that is not the case when it comes to kindergarten. Uh-huh. They can refuse to take the children into kindergarten, but if the child is already at the age of primary school attendance, the parents will be fined. Wow, that's quite a lot of money. It is. It's a little bit higher than the average salary, the average net salary in the country. Monthly salary. (laughs) Monthly, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's even cheap. I mean, I was going to say it's cheaper to buy a new kid, but (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> but no it's good i i'm i'm, I'm, I'm I, so, you know it yeah. should be noticeable yeah I, it should but the problem is that uh, there's a massive debate going on about that in the parliament and uh you know i'm a little bit surprised i was a little bit surprised uh finding out that one of the parties that oppose the move is the green party uh, so I'm, yeah i'm not so surprised they they always talk. Um, sorry, I don't know the German Green Party very much, but I know the Swedish counterpart, and they always try to sound like they are very scientific. But they're all there's all kinds of woo and anthroposophs and stuff. Uh, not stuff. Other people of that mm-hmm. uh, kind in there. There's a lot of woo in the, in the Green movement, I believe. Yeah, yeah, and obviously the debate is not only over whether this should be made mandatory or or parents should be fined if they don't vaccinate their kids, but also if that is the right way to go down if we want to tackle the issue. And uh, th- th- there are serious um, arguments for uh, some something else to be taken in. For example, the president of the Doctors' Association called Frank Ulrich Montgomery said it was a move that they welcome, but it would be difficult to enforce. And I, I have to agree with that. And the other thing is that he said, compulsory vaccinations are easy to demand, but difficult to enforce. I can't imagine a situation where police are giving children vaccinations. Therefore, one must try and influence people with reason. That means, above all, education and i have to agree that education has to come hand in hand with this but i do think that uh, the moment when we can wait for people to get educated in a wide scale so that they will decide willingly to vaccinate their kids even though there's so much anti-vaccination sentiment going on i think we've passed that moment we have to enforce it you know what else works really well? Fear. We just need to scare them shitless, and that's it. <laughs> that's that's true. I mean, because that's why they don't want to vaccinate their kids because they are suffering from the fear what the vaccines will do to them. If they are more afraid of the disease than of the vaccine, but it it's not a you know I don't know it's not a pleasant way to go, and I don't recommend it. But I'm sure you're right, Jelena. <laughs> that it would work. Yeah. 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 If if I can mention uh, just a little a little short anecdote, on my last trip I was in Prague, and it's it's quite a bit of walking that we have to do there. It's a walking tour, basically a five hour walking tour in the city of Prague. And uh, one of my clients, he was really limping, and I started feeling sorry for him because I, I thought that he he'd been in pain all day long. Oh, and by the end of the day, my uh, ankle uh, started hurting as well. So I went up to him to say that, oh, now I'm an example of solidarity because my ankle hurts as well. And he said, oh, it doesn't hurt. 
it's just uh, something that I've been living uh, with all my life because it comes from polio. Wow. And turns out that uh, when he was a kid, he had polio. And uh, now uh, one of his legs is two centimeters shorter than the other one. It's it's very weak and it's uh, it's it is deformed. And I did ask him if he had uh, friends or uh, or classmates who were not that lucky, mm. and he said yes, yes. Wow. He had friends he lost. It to, isn't that to, long to ago, folks. It isn't that no. long ago. No, no. He was only like sixty years old. Wow. Yeah, it was it was really heartbreaking, and. Uh, I told him about what's going on and in Europe and across the world for with this anti vaccination sentiment and yeah he was <laughs> furious <laughs> of to yeah. hear all that yeah yeah okay let's go to Switzerland this ties back to uh, last week's really wrong award actually where I talked about how the bad uh, he- diet and health advice that comes from influencers on Twitter. I found a study on PubMed which shows much the same kind of thing but regarding psoriasis advice. It is published in the Journal of Medical Internet Research or the JMIR and it's open access so we will link to it and anybody can uh, read it for free. That We like that. Open access is good. Mm-hmm. This study was done by researchers from the University Hospital in Basel in Switzerland It is similar to the one about the Twitter influencers, but it studied instead the 100 mostly viewed YouTube videos that gave advice about psoriasis. And the title was great, which is actually almost why I found it first. The title is The Absence of Evidence is Evidence of Nonsense. Mm -hmm. I think think that's a great title. (laughs) Mm, I like it. Yeah. Yeah. But if we go to the conclusions, they studied these 100 YouTube videos. Less than a third of the videos could be classified as useful, whereas uh, 50% was classified as misleading and slightly over 10% was classified as dangerous. These were the three categories based on a set of criteria that you can read about in the paper. So it could be useful, misleading or dangerous. And um, less than a third was, was useful. Another way of analyzing this was when they looked at the content of the videos, the minute-by-minute content, and they showed that, first of all, 26% of the time in the videos were advertising. So (laughs) that's fine. Only 20% of the time was spent on evidence-based health information. (laughs) Also pretty alarming was that the viewers of these videos were found to rate the poor quality videos much higher than the more accurate ones. Because they were easier to understand, right? Yeah, or sexier or better or I I don't know. Ah. uh, So please, again, uh, sort of a repeat from last week. Don't take medical advice from the internet. And again, absence of evidence is evidence of nonsense. That's a great name for a scientific paper. Yes, it is. (laughs) (laughs) All righty. I want to talk about a a annual award from GVUP, our friends. (laughs) Are we we sure that it's given out by GVUP? Maybe it's the Science Busters. No, (laughs) no, 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 it's GVUP. Stop messing around. (laughs) Anyways, uh, it's a Carl Sagan Award and the winners for this year have been announced. The award will be presented on the 31st of May. Guess where? At Skepcon. 
Scapcon. Yes, oh, Philip will mentioned. tell us all about it. Yeah. <laughs> the prize is a thousand euros, and it honors journalists who promote science and skepticism and help educate the public. And this year, the couple who is running Medwatch website, Nicola Kurt and Hinrich Feldwish Drentrup, got the award. And what they do with this website that they founded is they they calling out on all the quack doctors who promise cure when where there is none obviously so for example if somebody is looking for health information on the internet and there's some sort of therapies in inverted commas that are offered alternative therapies and in many cases they can be harmful they, so they call those people out they they research the case first and then and then basically bring bring them to light and they show the dangers behind the claims so you know for cancer quacks etc and congratulations on this uh, on this year's award and uh, this prize is awarded every two years and in 2017 this prize was awarded to scientific journalist Christio Boichevich and Claudia Ruby for their work on pseudo medical cancer treatment providers so there we go. Um, I'm assuming it is German based. Yes, it is. It's okay. it's in German. Okay, so it's German based people mm-hmm. that normally get the award. But hey, we have our own person now there to actually talk all about. Well, or tell us all about this. So. Yeah, we actually have more than one. We have yes, also we've Annika. got at least two. Yeah, <laughs> oh, sorry, Annika of course, as well. Of course, Annika yes, Merkelbach, and we have. Ralph, I'm sure he will be there. I don't know, but there are a couple, there even more than that. So let's not yeah, try yeah. to name all of them, but uh, good. So we will go to Sweden now. And this is another follow-up on a previous news item. It's looking like an epidemic, really, this one. Last month in episode 166, I reported on a child in Gothenburg in Sweden who was taken to hospital just hours away from dying because the parents had insisted on only feeding it with vegan food and mother's milk, even though it was losing weight and it became more and more undernourished. Instead of vitamins that was recommended by doctors, they were giving the child, quote, sunshine and love. Now, this week, In Stockholm, we have a new story about more or less the same thing. Parents to a one-year-old child are now being prosecuted for mistreating uh, their child by only providing vegan food. The baby was suffering real harm from lack of protein and fat, and the prosecutor is advocating a prison sentence, uh, which I think is... you should. So what the hell is going on? Is there an epidemic of people starving their children in the name of veganism going on? Uh, this is uh, very... Is there an ap- epidemic of stupidity, just just like that? Could be, could be. <laughs> but two of these stories with uh, just a month in between, what's going on? I'm really upset about that. Mm. I mean, I feel free to be a vegan if you want to, but make sure that you're child gets all the nourishment it needs for fuck's sake yeah and that's yeah. that <laughs> yeah um i uh, actually that brings about an article that i i just uh read written by um uh, steven novella on neurologica uh, mm-hmm. blog and he writes about the truth decay I mean, he's he's not coining the the phrase himself. He he uses that uh, borrowed from think tank of scientists and researchers called Rand Corporation. Tooth decay is when increasing disagreement about facts and analytical interpretations of facts and data. Well, check. 
<laughs> yeah. A blurring of the line between opinion and fact. Check. An increased relative volume and resulting influence of opinion and personal experience over fact. Check. And declining trust in formerly respected sources of fact. Check. So... I think with a healthy amount of stupidity combined with a truth decay, I think that's a good recipe for things like uh, catastrophic you say, things like did, what you... Did you say a healthy amount of stupidity? Yeah, I, un, un, I, I, unhealthy, <laughs> unhealthy. That, that was that what I, I was going to say. Okay. It just didn't come out like that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's no healthy amount of stupidity. Yeah, that's no. you're right. Absolutely yeah. right. Yeah. <laughs> Let's see what authorities can do to tackle that issue of uh, truth decay, (laughs) an unhealthy amount of stupidity when it comes to that. Uh, For example, the French authorities do have a solution, as it looks like. I first came across this uh, on Edzard Ernst's blog with his blog post uh, titled The Days of Homeopathy in France Are Counted. Well, I'm really hoping that he is right. So let's start with the background. The background is that currently the French healthcare system partially funds homeopathic treatments. 30% of homeopathic treatments are reimbursed for. That is a lot. That means a cost of 130 million euros each year in the French healthcare system, which is a lot. I mean, when we compare it to the overall number, which is close to 20 billion euros, yeah, we have to admit that it's just a teeny tiny portion of it, but it's still a lot of money that could be used for something that actually makes sense. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So now the health secretary of France, uh, who's an oncologist, Dr. Agne Bouzin, uh, I hope I hope I pronounce her name properly. She first started out by uh, stating that, um, well, the placebo might be the only effect that we can see with regards to homeopathy. That's correct. That's okay. But then they started checking all the 1,200 homeopathic remedies that are currently on the French market and are partially reimbursed for. And uh, they realized that, well, there is no reason why it should be reimbursed because there is no effect whatsoever. So that means that they are probably going to start legalizing against it. I mean, stopping that reimbursement. But, as we can imagine, Boiron was very quick to react. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it blows my mind. How many did you say? 1,000 how many? 1,200. 1,200 identical pills with different labels on them. <laughs> yeah, basically it's amazing. What it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jesus Christ. Just sugar pills. Yeah, well, I think Boiron started worrying when a couple of things happened earlier in the last couple of months. For example, when a group of doctors issued a public open letter in Le Figaro against homeopathy, then the French academies of medicine and pharmacy published a report well, questioning the evidence of homeopathy to, to be working. And the, the University of Lille suspended its homeopathy course good that previously resulted in degree so i think i think we are moving towards putting it to the sideline which is a great move but then boiron is worrying and they started playing the we will lose workforce or we will lose people will lose their jobs card and uh 
they said that a thousand people are likely to lose their jobs if the market is uh, starts to shrink because of the lack of reimbursement. That's well, a, that's well, a, fuck you. That's a bloody stupid argument. If we can't sell bogus stuff, people won't have work doing the bogus stuff that nobody exactly. Ah. So you know what? They should try and find a job that actually makes sense. Exactly. So. That's what that was. That's look what at it, look at it do. as freeing up workforce to do some real work. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It could be argued. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, uh, fingers crossed for French authorities and the French government to be able to act on this because it would be very advisable. But it's good. It's good that it's actually happening in in France as well. We've seen good developments in in the UK. Yeah. Uh, powered by a lot by the good thinking society yeah. uh, and but it's good to see the same kind of tendencies also in france now we're waiting for germany and the other countries and switzerland where and it's switzerland big. yeah it's really big yeah, where it made actually a comeback uh, i believe yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, a couple of years ago yeah. all right okay okay so over to a completely different uh, subject have you heard about the voynich manuscript before yeah yeah so there's some interesting news about the, this um, uh, mysterious manuscript and i'll get to back to what it is it's the ultimate mystery isn't it it is a a, a very and it's very intriguing very exciting mystery actually mm-hmm. and there's some new uh, some news from the uk about this document so what is mm-hmm. it the famous Voynich manuscript surfaced in 1912 when it was purchased by a book dealer called Wilfried Voynich, which is why it's called the Voynich manuscript. It has been proven that it's actually genuine from the early 1400s. The problem is that nobody has been able to read it. It's, a, it's like a book, really. It's mm-hmm. written with rather strange mixture of normal Latin letters and strange symbols, in what appears to be, maybe it's an unknown language, or perhaps it's in code. Lots of people have tried to decipher it, including Alan Turing during the World War II, the famous uh, code breaker, and other code breakers as well from also American intelligence agencies like also FBI. And many, many happy amateurs and linguists have tried to make sense of this document. So it's genuinely old. And it's totally incomprehensible and nobody knows what it's all about. (laughs) Uh, Until now, apparently. Suddenly, out of Bristol University, a Dr. Gerard Cheshire claims to have broken the code. And after just two weeks of study, no less, he says that the, the... And this is a quote from him. He says, The manuscript was compiled by Dominican nuns as a source of reference for Maria of Castile, Queen of Aragon. He goes on to say it was written in Proto-Romance, which he calls an extinct language. And he quotes again, its alphabet is a combination of unfamiliar and more familiar symbols. It includes no dedicated punctuation marks, uh, although some letters have symbol variants to indicate punctuation or phonetic accents. All of the letters are in lowercase and there is no double consonants. And he goes on to describe how, how it was written. And now he says there's only the task of translating the whole document. Since he's now broken the code, you can go ahead and translate the document, which is over 200 pages long. And it's the end of a century-long mystery. Except I'm not very convinced. (laughs) It could maybe be true, 
but my skeptical alarms have gone off. First of all, and, and I saw this shared on, on social media by people who are skeptics and, and I don't want to name any names, but people who, who, who actually said, oh, wow, we all finally got the solution to this long mystery. But first of all, I am no linguist, but proto-romance is very unusual to talk about. You usually call it vulgar Latin. And that's not very mysterious. He says it's a mysterious long-lost language or so. It's not. It's the language, or rather many different versions of a, uh, of the language which we know as Latin, but how mm -hmm. it developed out of the way that people talked Latin on the street. And that developed into, of course, uh, early French, Spanish, Italian, uh, the Romanian, uh, Portuguese, etc., and that happened rather early, depending on how you count, around the 4th or 5th century. By the 800s, Latin as a first language was dead as a mother tongue. Nobody spoke that fluently, naturally, if you will. It was still spoken in the church, it was conserved, yeah. etc. But that's not what you spoke. You spoke one of the vulgar Latin versions, early French, etc., but my point is that by the 1400s, when this document was written, proto-romance, if we want to call it that, it's long gone, really. And it's had developed into early French, early Spanish, early Italian. And that's not very mysterious. People know roughly, I mean, a lot about how that sounded. And it should have been recognized by linguists a long time ago, because this document has been studied for over 100 years. Mm-hmm. And also, this guy claims he looked at this for two weeks only, and then he he, he found the key, and he now knows how to right. read it all. Well, was it like a revelation? Or? Uh, yeah, he, he actually <laughs> said, almost, he says there was a lot of aha moments, and very exciting, and he got from one point to the other, and blah, 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 blah. So I'm, I'm, I know I'm speculating, and I'm not a linguist, but I don't think we've heard the last of this yet. I remain very unconvinced. And actually, yeah. this was my gut reaction. I read up a bit on it a couple of days ago, actually. But since we've already mentioned, we're a bit late in, in recording. This is how far I got. And now I see today, which is Friday the 17th, I see that there's a lot of people coming out, experts saying, no, 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 that's not it. That's not how it is. So um, it was too good to be true. The document is still a mystery. The best bet, I think, is that it is not really text. <laughs> it is some sort of gibberish, some sort of uh, nonsense. Why it was made, I don't think we will ever know. The little I saw of real experts analyzing the text it's it's too irregular it's too nonsense like it's a lot of repetition it's very strange it's very hard to see how this could be really a, a meaningful document but we we but don't know I, I think but i think i've read somewhere that it's um, one of the counter arguments to that is that it's too elaborate in in a way so so there are so many details so, such such great attention to the details when it comes to the pictures for example the the figures and the calligraphy and and everything so no. uh if it's just uh just some kind of a hoax that was very common in the middle ages 
but it, it was usually some some kind of a loose job that 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 someone did there's no doubt that whoever created this manuscript spent a hell of a lot of work doing it because it's very it's beautiful even and but the text doesn't seem to make any sense so it's still a mystery Mm -hmm. the point is that we we don't know and we still don't know and uh, if you saw the news that we've now broken the code or this guy in bristol broke the code no, he didn't. It, it, yeah. It's still a mystery. But but it, it was a mystery back uh, a couple of hundred years ago as well. I, I mean, I love love the, the the little things like the even Rudolf II might have bought it at some point, but it's that's not even well established that it happened. <laughs> we, it no. was reported that he bought, bought it because he was a Holy Roman Emperor and he was famous for supporting things like uh, uh, alchemy and all the wooey stuff he was he was really fond of uh, astrology and and everything yeah. for example johannes kepler was his uh, court uh, astronomer sure. yeah yeah. Uh, yeah so it's a fascinating time in history and who knows what happened to it so i think it's a fascinating piece of piece of uh, art <laughs> but uh yeah, yeah I, I i share your skepticism uh, yeah. about yeah. this nice yeah. nice lovely Mm-hmm. Nice catch. <laughs> yeah, a little bit of different subject. Not not really, really what we usually talk about here. It's mostly yeah. 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 So, but uh, interesting and fascinating. Yeah, we tend to these shows uh, recently tend to be very uh, health uh, healthcare heavy. Yeah. So this is why we're gonna finish on something else again, and that is uh, well coming up is the European parliamentary elections, right? So all the different parties in European countries are jumping right on and they're trying to get the attention of as many voters as possible. So this is what AFD, the Alternative for Germany, Alternative für Deutschland does, uh, which is, well, to, to, to just say it as it is, it's a right-wing kind of what is it called a far right <laughs> far right yeah one so of these populist a, parties right it's a far right populist party in germany and uh one of the things that no one does or not to that extent at least is that they oppose climate protection because what they stand up for is the need of the german people who want their money that comes from German auto industry. So diesel is good. That's basically <laughs> one of their slogans. And we want our <laughs> diesel back. Well, it doesn't come as a surprise that they are opposing some European countries where uh, diesel cars, for example, have been banned from entering a couple of cities in the next couple of years. So it's uh, it's an interesting debate. However, they go as far as to denying climate change and that it would be caused by humans. And uh, they even go further. So far that they started attacking that poor little girl, Greta Thunberg. Ah, now we've talked about this before, yeah. Yes, so because she appeared at the European, I think it was at the European Parliament? Mm Mm-hmm. 
was it was it in front of the European Parliament that she appeared, and uh, she was greeted everywhere with such gra- gratitude and so, so much support was given to her. Now they're mocking her for it and mocking European politicians for it, and I'm sorry to say, but I'm pretty sure that a lot of people are buying that and a lot of people will listen to them because of that. Well, but there are things in their political agendas that are not very clear because it is quite well established that they are affiliated with a couple of very controversial organizations, like the one that's called European Institute for Climate and Energy, which is not a scientific institute, contrary to what the name would suggest, right? More for uh, energy than for uh, climate. Yes, and energy, we know what energy means when it comes to Germany. Uh, <laughs> they are still not there when we're talking about uh, alternative energy because they voted down long ago, they voted down the development of uh, nuclear power, which they would need for such a huge economy. So what they, they're left with is fossil fuels. Yeah, there was even an analysis comparing the European right-wing populist parties and their political agendas. And it turned out that uh, 21 European right-wing populist parties were compared and no other party, with the exception of Britain's UKIP, denies human-induced climate change as vehemently as the AFD, says Stella Schaller, who was uh, the the leading expert putting together that um, analysis. So, wow, well done. (laughs) Yeah, but maybe it's a beginning of a trend because I talked about three weeks ago, listeners may remember, I talked about the Finns party in Finland. Yeah, yeah. The true Finns. They also, because they don't have a lot of immigration, which was what they became big at, uh, you know, yes. the, the, the subject that they promoted first, we need to stop immigration. Then people realized that there isn't actually a lot of immigration to Finland anyway. They are now also switching over to uh, climate change denial. The very same with AFD. They started yeah. out with yeah. immigration and loss of jobs and stuff, stuff like that. But now the immigration has not stopped. Obviously, it hasn't stopped. But it's much lower than it used to be. In a couple of years years ago, it was much much higher. It was it was much more of an issue. Now it's not. So they have to turn their hats towards something else. Yeah. So uh, need the new enemy, and the yeah. new enemy is the climate scientists. Exactly. Apparently. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Speaking of the European Parliament elections coming up. Yeah. I just want to say we don't want to tell you how to vote, but please vote. Because whatever yeah. side you're on, the other side will vote. So mm-hmm. don't ignore it. Don't say, well, the EU is far away or it doesn't matter if I vote or not. It does matter. Please vote. In the Swedish Skeptics, we actually sent an, a, a set of questions to all the major parties oh, yeah, before these elections. And we have yeah. uh, now posted the results on our uh, webpage, the vof.se mm-hmm webpage now of course this applies only to swedish listeners but we st- yeah. we we focused on questions we we don't want to take as a skeptics we don't want to take political sides but we want to know where they stand in in scientific questions su- such as gmo alternative medicine climate change etc so those are the kind yeah. of questions that we've asked and uh, if you're a skeptic look up the parties in your country see where they stand in those kinds of issues and then of course make up your mind of how you want to vote but do vote 
because it is important. And please don't make the mistake of not realizing how important the European Parliament is. I do think that a lot of people, and I and I see that around me, that a lot of people don't really care because they think that they they're not doing it for us. It's it's not it's not our Parliament. It's not it's not something that has a large effect on our country and our lives. But it is. It does matter whether we make this integration and this in- intermingling of these European countries and the collaboration stronger or we weaken it and we'll destroy the whole thing because we could yeah. and we don't want that. So we need an integration. We need something that is based on collaboration among all the different countries because that's how we can face the challenges of the future of which there will be many. Yeah. I usually And say one of them is climate change yeah. and the other thing is healthcare issues, vaccination, the antibiotic resistance and a lot of things that will need to be tackled and we can only do it if we work together. And if I'm allowed to be a little bit pro-Europe for a while, I just want to say one thing. No country has ever isolated themselves out of a crisis. That doesn't never work. So you need to collaborate. Maybe EU isn't the perfect organization, not the way you want it, but it's the one we have. And collaboration in any kind is always better than trying to isolate yourself. Yeah. And that's what we have. So that's what we need to make work. (laughs) So, yeah. All right. Okay, enough of preaching, I think. (laughs) Uh, Choose wisely, guys. Yes. But do choose. And and do choose and do vote. Moving on to the next segment, which is when we find out who's been really wrong or really right lately. Yes. So once again, this episode, I will focus on a subject that we haven't discussed much on this show before. But I feel that we perhaps need to address more as skeptics. So, of course, you know, this is not some kind of a sports ball kind of show. (laughs) We don't care too much or we don't talk too much about football and such things. But some of you may have heard of a Swedish football player called Kim Shellström. Maybe not. Maybe not. But he's pretty big here in Sweden. He's a household name here and he's made an international career playing in France for Lyon. And he's played for Arsenal for one season. And then he played in Russia and Switzerland and, of course, for the Swedish national team in the World Cup and such things. So he's pretty famous here in Sweden. And the reason I want to talk about him that this week he was a guest in a, in a Swedish podcast where he discussed his career, etc. And he talked about how he, as many other athletes, have been approached to do commercials for betting companies. I'm sure it's the same all over Europe that betting the betting business is huge and it's a mm-hmm. multi-billion business in whatever currency you want to multi-billion currency business. Yeah, yeah, exactly. In the end of these discussions with these betting companies, uh, Kim Shellstrom told them that he would not do any commercials for them because the business is problematic and he turned them down saying he didn't want to profit on others' misfortune. Hmm. So there's the question of gambling addiction, of course, but also fundamentally any betting or gambling exploits our innate inability as people to understand big numbers. I, mm-hmm. I Sometimes I've provoked people by saying we as animals, 
the human animals <laughs> cannot really intuitively understand numbers beyond four. And my example is if you have people over for dinner and afterwards you ask how many for coffee, if more than four people raise their hands, you will have to start counting and almost making a list. And when you then go out in the kitchen to bring out five cups or six cups, you need to count them maybe twice and, and focus not to make a mistake. Or is that only <laughs> me? I think, that, you know, there's a limit. <laughs> Three or four, you don't have to think about it. Five or six, then you have to start to co- focus on it. But anyway, <laughs> let's talk about gambling. If you can't even understand the number five or six, how the hell are you supposed to get a real sense for how unlikely it is that you'll win if the odds are, say, a million to one? Mm-hmm. And I'm only talking about winning the high prices, the high winnings, because who really cares for the small potatoes in, in a gambling where you win like 10 euros or so? That That's only there to make you feel that you can win sometimes, keeping up the illusion of winning. So... Speaking skeptically again, you confuse the odds that you will win with the odds that somebody at all will win. Somebody wins every week, so maybe it's me next time. But no, that's not the case. Statistically speaking, it will never happen to you. You know, it always happened to someone, but it will never happen to you. Or the, the or close, close the, to never. Yeah. For me, it's even almost a kind of a fraud. They tell you that you have a chance to win, but the chance is so low that it is virtually zero. For every practical reason in real life, one in a million is indistinguishable from from a zero percent chance. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. and that and I think actually this is something that we haven't addressed as skeptics too much because it is systematically using people's inability to, to understand how, how high the odds are or how hard it is to win. So um, I want to commend Kim Shellstrom. I don't know if he's a skeptic at all, but I um, took this as an excuse of bringing up uh, maybe a new subject for us in this show. <laughs> Very yeah. good. Nicely done. Thank yeah. you. So for refusing to make commercials for a big business that just exploits people, Kim Shellstrom is the first ever athlete or sports ball whatever player to win uh, the prize for being really right from the ESP. A very prestigious prize. It is. <laughs> I'm sure he will be very happy to hear. Okay. Thank you very much, Pontus. Mm-hmm. And thanks, Kim Kallström. Is that how you pronounce his name? Uh, the, the funny thing is it's Kim... But then the last name is also spelled with a K, but you say, so it's Shellstrom. So it's Kim Shellstrom. Kim Shellstrom. Kim Shellstrom. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Sorry about that. That was today's today's Swedish lesson. Yep. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Before we finish the show, I'd like to introduce a new promotional material that we re- received fresh from GSOW, which is Guerrilla Skepticism on Wikipedia, the international project led by Susan Gerbic. So mm-hmm. let's listen to that new shiny thing. Crop circles are so intricate and complex, it is not possible for humans to make them. You're not really getting the complete holistic birth experience unless you eat your placenta. I mean, animals do it and Mother Nature always knows best. 
course the world is haunted by ghosts and demons. It explains so much, so easily, that I barely have to do any thinking. I've watched a whole lot of Flat Earth videos on YouTube. You know, they convinced me. It's all a conspiracy. There's no way we live on a spinning ball. We all have friends and family who believe these things, and much more. Well, if you're a rational thinker who is tired of arguing on social media and never getting anywhere, we have a solution for you. Join the Guerrilla Skepticism on Wikipedia team, and we will teach you how to add reliable scientific and skeptical information to the world's number one source of information, Wikipedia. We write new articles and improve existing ones. We remove pseudoscience, paranormal, and alt-med claims, substituting the actual facts. And we operate in many languages. We've already reached tens of millions of people searching for information, but, as you can imagine, we can never do enough. So please join us. All you need is a PC and the desire to help educate the planet. In fact, you'll be educating the world while you sleep. Contact us at gsowteam at gmail.com. Guerrilla skepticism. The time is now. Music by purpleplanet.com. Okay, nice, 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 nice. Please, guys, uh, Susan tells me that uh, there are a lot of people in training right now, but they are always happy to have more people joining them, especially if they speak a language apart from English. So not other than English, but above English, there is one or two or, th or, or more other languages that they can edit on because it's very useful. Okay, so, but the show is coming to an end, which means that uh, we will hear Yelena share a quote with us to finish the show with. Indeed, you will. And the quote is from Marie Curie. Ooh, nice. Who was a Polish-born scientist and two-time Nobel laureate. Nothing in life is to be feared. It is only to be understood. Now is the time to understand more so that we may fear less. Amen yes. to that. Yes. Amen to that. That's especially a good yeah. Ahead of the European elections. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Understand everything. Understand the issues at hand and try to work them out. Work out how to find a solution. Yes. And science will help you with that a lot, a great deal. Okay. Well, thanks very much, Yelena. And indeed, thanks to both of you for joining me today, Yelena and Pontus. Thank you. And... As usual, I'd like to thank our listeners as well for tuning in. Please keep doing so and get in touch if you have something to say. But until next week, goodbye. Bye-bye. Пока-пока. This has been your ESP experience. The show is produced and recorded by the ESP.eu. Join us again next time, but until then, please send your feedback, comments or death threats to info at the ESP.eu. We would also love to hear your ideas and suggestions regarding future episodes, as well as news from your country of residence that might interest others across the continent. If you have a local event or organization to promote, please don't hesitate to let us know, as we are more than happy to help. All music in the program was written and performed by Keisha J. Gray and George Schraub and is used with their permission. Please check out our webpage at 
www.theesb.eu, follow us on Twitter at espodcast underscore eu, and like us on Facebook. I don't know how you can believe. You're listening to Andre Burping. What? <clears throat> also, you can like us on Twitter. No. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, fuck me. You can like us on Twitter, but it's not how it works. (laughs) I'll hit you, all right. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Ah. Yelena, are you drunk? (laughs) No, I didn't drink anything, I swear. Um, That's the the problem. I should. (laughs)